You are listening to the Jason Killingsworth Podcast. Let's go. This is your host, Jason Killingsworth. I've spent nearly two decades studying creativity, first as a music and film journalist, which gave me access to world-renowned musicians, actors, and filmmakers, and then later as a video game journalist, where I explored the fascinating marriage of art, technology, and interactive storytelling. This podcast is all about curiosity, risk, self-expression, play, and the tension every artist and thinker navigates between order and the chaotic potential of the unknown. If you find these subjects equally rich, then you have come to the right place. Today's guest is Derek Webb, an accomplished songwriter whose penetrating lyrics and good faith interrogation of organized religion won him just as many admirers as it did detractors. He's also an accomplished entrepreneur and was at the forefront of helping other songwriters thrive amidst the music industry's transition to the current digital Wild West. I hope you enjoy our conversation. It was a delight to talk to him. He is a dear friend of mine, and I find his work massively inspiring. So let's get right into it. All right, I am here uh, joined by Derek Webb. Oh man, it's such a pleasure. Oh my god, I I'm uh I am such a fan of yours. I'm probably going to have more questions for you about all the music you're listening to and all the great things you're reading and all the great thoughts you're having, but I will try to be a decent guest for you. <laughs> well, uh it'll be good. It's thrilled be, to be talking. You are somebody who's come from like in your musical kind of career has come from this place of like folk rock or, yeah. I mean, I don't even like this, this singer songwriter, yeah. but you know, with, you know, with a fair bit of adrenaline kind of pumped into <laughs> it at various points across the, that Cademan stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then gradually just, you could tell like there was some restlessness and, mm. And you were starting to to morph and kind of change, and and needed to to jump into a solo career just to have, I would assume, some freedom to kind of explore that. And mm. and and we're finding like your own eccentricities in your own songwriting, and uh, mm. so that that is a an incredibly long winded kind of preamble to this conversation. <laughs> but I just want to start there and and. Uh, and and start to to plot out you know a yeah. path between the beginning of, of your career yeah. and 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 what looks from the outside like a much kind of safer mode of creative expression to now where it, where it feels like there are moments where 
you don't even know if things are going to resolve right. uh, creatively and um, right. Just start taking me along that journey. Yeah. Oh, it's. I mean, it's been nuts. I mean, I you know, and it's the kind of thing that you you can't possibly see. I mean, I, you know, I mean, there have been so many. I've gone around so many hard corners over my almost twenty like five years of playing music as my job that I. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine how I got here. I can't, I can't imagine. I could not have nearly predicted the trajectory. And I mean, if you consider that, like I started playing music when I was single digits, when I was, you know, five, six years old, I started playing guitar and piano and whatever, and took it really seriously because it was the only thing I was good at. The only thing I could, I could identify um, that I could do and really enjoy doing and had some proficiency, you know, and I had, but unfortunately for a long time, um, it went fairly unnoticed because not by me, but, but, you know, it, you know, when before a certain age, before you're 19 or 20, there are just certain things in life that are being measured. Um, and I was not good at any of those things. Um, you know, social, academic sports, name it. I just was not good at any of it. Right. But music from when I was very young came really easy. I was, I was just one of the few things I was really good at. And so I really, grabbed onto it and held onto it and, um, and, you know, started off my, in my, my, all my adolescence, I grew up in the, you know, in the eighties, you know, I was born in the late, in the, in the mid seventies. And so I grew up really cutting my teeth on, you know, the, 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 the hair bands of the eighties, you know, it's just such, it's such such strange Mm -hmm. beginnings. I was like obsessed with journey and with Bon Jovi and with like Def Leppard and with like Dokken and with Van Halen, you know, it's just all these. And that's where I started. And so for like the first 10 years of my musical life, I was, I was trying to be Steve I or Eddie Van Halen or Paul Gilbert, or like, I was trying to be like a, oh, yeah. like a silent lead guitar player, you know? And, um, and I think that over those years, there were a couple of cracks in the dam. Like, like the edge was a disruptive figure because he, he was pulling me into mostly by way of my brother, who's four years older than me, who was super really into super cool music. Um, and I would hear it coming out of the, you know, the crack under his door of his bedroom. And that's where I heard like simple minds and big country and you two and, and oh, some, man. some of those yeah. more, some of those more earnest kind of like budding stadium rock bands, you know, and, um, but, uh, but a whole other thing from whatever I was listening to. And I, so I think there were some of those bands and guitar players who kind of started to pull me, but you know, that's what I imagined doing. And it wasn't until I was 19 or 20 probably and getting out of high school that I, I, I was introduced to songwriting. I mean, I, I'm not trying to, to say at all that those, all those bands didn't have good songs. They most certainly inarguably did. Um, because the song, you know, yeah. like some of the most enduring songs of all time came out of that era and, you know, and so they're great songs, but, um, there was just a depth to it that I hadn't really, I mean, you know, to me, songs were just, you know, um, the thing that I waited through to get to the guitar solo, you know, like, I mean, I, I didn't right, really, I just, right. I didn't need it to be anything other than filler till I could play my solo after the second course. And so, um, but, but I, I think, you know, right when I was getting out of, I think it was probably by way of, uh, young life, which is like a, like a parachurch organization that I was wrapped up in when I was in high school, um, mm-hmm. that I started to get into more acoustic music and probably met some acoustic guitar players that way. And, 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 and then started getting into acoustic music. And it, so it wasn't until I was about 19, you know, that I started to 
find, and I, you know, I, and I was an infant uh, of of good songwriting at that at that point, or, or that type of songwriting. And I, you know, so I started at the beginning, and I got into Simon and Garfunkel, and I got into James Taylor, and I got into um, Joni Mitchell, and I got into and but, but then I also found the Indigo Girls, you know, and and contemporary mm-hmm, bands yeah. like that, and um, and just fell down the rabbit hole of uh, and th- and then from there, Amy Ray who's half the Indigo Girls, taught me everything else I needed to know. She taught me how to, how to be a singer. She taught me how to be, um, how to transition from being a hyper proficient guitar player to being a visceral, emotional rhythm guitar player. And, um, I actually had to learn how to be bad, like how to like Hmm. learn how to not be so good because I had spent, you know, 10 years practicing scales, 10 hours a day. And, and, um, so I started getting into all that music, which, and, and that's really, you know, and, and it was right around that time that I met the, the Cademan's Call people. And we started that band that was like early nineties. And, and we kind of backed into some success in the Christian music world, which was part of what a lot of us believed, but wasn't a thing we were super aware of or interested in marketing ourselves by, but it's just the success that we found. And it was the early nineties when it was really hard to make it or to the record, you had to have a record deal or you weren't you know, there, there was no middle class, uh, to the music business yet. It was all the head, right. of, the, head of the sales curve and then nothing. I'm hobbyist. And so that was a great opportunity. And we had a great 10 year run doing that and a lot of success, which kind of propelled me into a solo career where you're right. I, I started to kind of explore a little more and I'd spent 10 years in back hallways of churches and Christian music festivals and stuff. And I had some things to get off my chest. Like I had some things I had, I, I needed to write about and I wanted to address and bring up that I certainly couldn't do in the context of Cademan's as big as the band had gotten in that world. Cause it would have been just like perpetually gnawing on the hand that fed me. And so I started to work it out in my solo stuff. And, and that's been the strange journey I've been on since, you know, and, and now here I am 13 or 14 years into my solo career and have covered a, a an insane range of, of topics, all of which do nothing but or none of which I should say are doing me any favors in terms of selling records. It's like, I've been talking to the, you know, chiding the church about its politics and its views on sexuality and everything else for, for 10 years. And, and now this year I, you know, put, finally put a record out. That's kind of my, my dual divorce record, you know, between yeah. the breakup of my marriage and my kind of leaving the, or questioning deeply questioning the faith and things like that. So it's been such a strange I mean, I know that was long, but that's as, almost as short as it can go. I mean, it's like, it's been a strange journey. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I, yeah, I mean, well, t- like to be fair, um, being the really, you know, thoughtful person that I am, I asked you to kind of s- summarize, you know, 25 years of your life right. in, in the span of three minutes. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and I took, you know, I took more like six, um, but I did my best. <laughs> you took, you took 24 years yeah. to summarize those 25 years. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you, do you feel like with, like, cause you mentioned the agitation, um, yes. and being that kind of agitating sort of figure to that audience. Um, I mean, and, and to yourself as well. I mean, you, cause yes. you're agitating, you're, you're poking and prodding, uh, you know, which like every songwriter should be doing. That's right. Um, do, do you feel like, um, the, the portion of that audience that was, was tired of, of having that, um, yeah, I mean, if you're playing rock, like maybe that, mm. that object is the thing that's like actually just in the shoe of, of a lot of those listeners who are, 
right. kind of just getting annoyed by having some of those those issues raised and those hmm. you know, sacred cows barbecued. <laughs> but do you do you feel like they were there was any sense that that any of that audience was was wanting and and kind of rolling their tongue over their lips, kind mm. of hoping for some kind of comeuppance or some kind of mm. aha. See, you know, I I told you all of all of these you know questions, all of these signs were really just you know some form of weakness. Um, you mean in like now, in me? Yeah, in you, yeah. In, yeah. in you specifically, and then yeah, that all of a sudden when you encountered, you know, some, some problems in your marriage and in your personal life that, that it just felt like, okay, here's that, that big juicy kind of cautionary tale for them to just kind of jab their finger at. Yeah. Did it feel like that as, as you were kind of going through it, that you were serving them this big fat steak uh, (laughs) in a sense? Uh, I'm afraid that's probably true. I mean, you know, it's the, the Christian music audience is a tricky, is a tricky bunch. And, um, and I've certainly seen my fair share of people go through hard things publicly and, and, um, the, and that audience react, you know, badly, um, and, or at least not in the way that you would think was possible or, um, you know, considering that it's a group of people who, who's really only thing in common is identifying that, that it's like, if, if done well, you know, Christianity is supposed to kind of be, or Christian practice or gathering is supposed to be like an AA meeting. It's supposed to be like, yeah, we get together because we all know that we're screwed up and we need help. And so let's all get help together kind of thing. Let's help each other. And let's, but that's really not what's in, in, in operation. That's not really what's happening. And so you see records flying off the of shelves into trash cans and you see, you know, um, it's, it's, it can be rough. And I, and I, and I, and the way that I've done it, you're right. Like I've, I've always, I think I've gotten a little flack over the years of be, of kind of being wagging my finger a little bit at the church or at Christians, um, even when I was identifying that way and squarely f- and found myself squarely part of that community. But, but, uh, but, at yeah. the, but, but really at the end of the day, if you really look at the stuff, I mean, I'm always in my crosshairs. I mean, like I am always, um, the, the one that I'm aiming at and, if there are people who I'm suspicious that there are who resonate or identify at all with my experience of it, then, then they join me. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, uh, I love this quote by John Lennon where he says that he was asked, um, during the, the, when he and Yoko Ono were, were doing all of their, you know, um, performance art for the protest movement, the bed ends and the, and, um, the war is over billboards and, Somebody asked him, like, hmm. what, what's your thing with the peace movement? Why are you so obsessed on the peace movement? Like, why is that such a big thing for you? Um, and he said, because I know myself to be such a violent man. And 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 I just thought that was so insightful. And it's like I, I so resonate with that. Like, I'm I'm talking about the things that ultimately I struggle to believe or have struggled to believe and ultimately failed at. Like, that's that's what I – I mean, all that an artist can do is look at the world and describe it. And my own world is the one in my, in my view, you know? And so that's all. But so the problem with doing that, as you said, though, is basically all I've done is given people, you know, 10 or maybe 20 years of ammunition um, in, in my trying to be publicly confessional, maybe in a way that comes off as 
as institutionally judgmental, which I have not meant for it to be, or it's not been done intentionally. Um, you know, and, and if I've done that well, then I'm really in trouble now. Um, because it just gives people nothing but, but ammunition. And it's a lot of confession, a lot of weaponized confession. Um, and, and there's even like a line in, on the first, in the first, uh, track of, on the new record, the new record's called Fingers Crossed. And, and there's a line in there, um, the, the whole, the whole, the first song is called Stop Listening. It's basically just kind of a, an invitation anyway, <laughs> for people to, mm-hmm. that it's okay with me. And I understand, I'd like if they stuck around, but it's, I understand if this is the jumping off point and where I even kind of take lyrics from, I've never had any big songs or singles or anything like that, or, you know, but but usually if somebody knows any of my songs, there's a song called Wedding Dress. It was on my first solo record and it's one that some people might know. And, um, and, and it's, and it's one of those backhanded confessional type songs. And, um, and I, in the first verse of the stop listening song on the new record, I, I'm kind of inviting people that it's okay if this is that point for them. And, and, uh, and then the second verse is them kind of responding by kind of badly misquoting my lyrics back to me to try and kind of paint me into a corner, um, about, um, uh, you know, because the, the, the song itself, wedding dress is, you know, about, it comes out of the Bible and it's about how God's people betray him and we're a, a whore and an adulteress and that whole thing. It's Ezekiel and it's really rough. It's a rough part of the Bible. And, all yeah. that. and, and them kind of using that language against me as being someone who's betrayed his wife. And, um, and, but, but what's interesting about that is I, as I've thought about it is like, I don't know in general with Christian music or Christians who fail publicly and come under that kind of judgment. It's like, did you think I was joking? Like I, it, it's, it wasn't, it, I, I wasn't making this up. It wasn't, you know, false advertising. Like I'm, I was being honest and I don't know yeah. why we're surprised by each other considering that the only thing we have in common is that we're screwed up. It's like, I think that people want public Christians or professional Christians. I mean, and I use those, those terms pretty carefully. I think that they hmm. want them to be, um, the, uh, they don't what they they don't really want them to they want them to to be vulnerable and talk about how they're and be confessional um they just don't truly want them to be sinning and yeah. as as, as yeah. though anyone can keep from it and it and uh so they like the idea of you being vulnerable and confessional and as long as you're being broad or abstract about it that oh that's so brave and that's so nice and boy what a great that yes what a great model that is and we should all be like that but then when you get specific and like there's really things going on, it's crazy how people back off and it's crazy how people bristle and and detach and and uh, distance themselves. So it's like, yeah, it's confusing, you know. Um, so who knows? You know. I mean, do you remember when Amy Grant fell from grace? Mm-hmm. Like how? Like I mean, and I think for somebody, somebody like yourself, somebody I mean, definitely like myself who uh, was you know, growing up within this contemporary Christian music kind of world where all of my musical choices were curated for me by the, the family Christian bookstore down the street. Uh, and, and her being such an icon, uh, within that scene and being the, the kind of crossover hope who, who Christians believed, you know, naively, I think, uh, 
was sort of bringing the light of of Christ to this dark kind of quote unquote secular uh, music listening audience right. and um and doing it in this really clever uh, you know we thought like s- sneaky way where it was you know it could be Jesus could be a boyfriend she was singing about That's right. um that the baby baby could be who knows it could be the baby Jesus for you know all we know but um but yeah like when when she and and her husband, you know, split up. I remember, uh, you know, being in my living room, like just, I found a, a copy of, I think CCM magazine. It was, and it was an interview with her and, and she was, you know, talking about it pretty candidly. And, yeah. and the whole tone of the editorial was just this, there was this really, this real venomous kind of undercurrent to this. How, how dare you? Hmm. Uh, and, and that's just interesting to me, because this wasn't even somebody who was, you know, writing incredibly confessional material. I mean, it was like very straightforward, yeah. you know, crowd pleasing pop yeah. and, 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 and beautifully crafted pop. Yep. Um, but yeah, but she was still excoriated and, and, and still suffered, you know, all of this, uh, all of this backlash. I know. And yet, you know, here you are with on your side of it and then kind of going through the same thing, but I guess, yeah, being sort of peppered with, with a different kind of ammunition. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and here's the thing at the end of the day, um, what I have found just to be clear that it doesn't sound like I'm complaining or anything. What I have found, yes, you get some of that. Um, I, I, unlike Amy Grant have the great benefit of not being wildly famous. Um, so, um, my, you know, my thing was, um, public, but not anything, you know, on any scale, um, like that. And, um, let me tell you what I found a lot more of is people who, um, ha- are terrified at the realities of their own lives, have no one to speak to about it because they feel trapped by the moral guardrails around what they project of who they are and and uh and are comforted in in uh at least not feeling alone in it and i yeah. and, and i can't tell you how many messages that i've gotten emails facebook messages you know direct message on twitter whatever it is of people just wanting to reach out and just feeling like there is something really, um, I don't even know what to call it. It, it, it to it, there's some there's something strange and kind of lovely about suddenly being seen as a safe person with whom or to whom to confess things or like to be a place where you yeah. can take your deepest yeah. darkest secrets. And I can't tell you like how many times somebody. Uh, I've gotten a message from somebody. I mean, I've gotten like two this week, for instance, and that was, you know, this was almost, it was like four years ago that all this happened, but, um, and I still get them regularly from men and women who are saying like, I'm on the brink of doing something I think I'm really going to regret and like, and I don't want to, and can you, what, can you tell me anything? Can you help me? And I can't tell you how many times I've been like, send me your phone. Is there anything on the other side of rock bottom? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Can, can you tunnel through that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's either it's, it's, it's done or it's, or I'm going to do it. And I mean, and I'm, and I'll, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, send me your phone number right now. Like, let's talk, let's talk. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to try to tell you 
and I can't persuade you of anything any more than I could have persuaded myself out of anything. But can I, would you give me a chance to tell you my story? And then you get to choose whether or not you want that to be your story. And, um, and I'm, I'm curious that it might be persuasive and, um, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you own your choices and I own mine and, you know, but, uh, it's been, and I feel like that's even what's finally propelled me into making music again. I mean, I, you know, when, when all that was going on for me in my personal life, it it became really complicated for me to be, to do this kind of very, this semi-public job of playing music and being out in the world. And, and so I kind of had to take a break for a while and I didn't really know if I would play music again or how I would do it and how I would, um, and what eventually persuaded me was realizing for a long time, I was like, I don't know if anybody wants to hear me talk about the world as I see it. I don't know if anyone wants to hear me describe that. I don't know if anybody cares. I don't know what, how my people feel about me, but what eventually brought me around was realizing that, um, you know, when I was going through some of those hard things and not just the horizontal divorce, but the vertical one too, when I was processing, my eventual kind of detachment from faith. And, um, I was looking for, and, and was needing music and soundtrack. And I was kind of stunned by how little I found like of people who had really thoughtfully and, um, thoroughly, honestly, vulnerably, um, documented the journey of serious relational breakdown and not just breakups, but marriages and, mm-hmm. and religion. And, and there are just very few, there was very little music I could find that would come, that could comfort me. And I mean, obviously I, I went back to, and I never really left, but went back to the music of Dave Bazan and, and, and there are a handful of folks that I found, but there wasn't enough. And I was like, you know what, for the people who have been where I am or will eventually be where I've been and go looking for soundtrack and comfort, they need music they need it and i and and my creative yeah. my creative emo tends to be what i need and can't find i make and so i was like well um that's my reason i'm going to do it for the people who need it and people who need comfort and people who need a safe place even if just in their headphones to sit and process um what they're feeling and what they're going through and try to find their way forward and so that's a, that's ultimately what brought me out Why do you think there are so few of those records out there? Because the the world is not short on those stories and those and those and those those very particular difficulties. That's right. I think that most people. I think it just it depends. It takes the perfect storm, maybe of wiring for somebody who. Because I think a lot of people, their instinct is to isolate, close down, clam up when, when things, when it's hitting that close to home and when they're going through and it's like most people, either the weight and the grief of it is too hard to both process and document, or they're just, um, they just can't imagine some things for some people are just too tricky to try and make art about. And so they kind of fall off the table and I don't know why I think for me, it was just such an act of desperation. Like I didn't have anything else to say. This was the only, these, these were the only things like for five years, my learning, trying to figure out who I was 
detached from the the two things that primarily made me me for my entire life and at least my adult life, which was my marriage and my relationship to God. Um, sure. They were I, I was so and I'm still some, but at, for for you know half a decade it was I was so obsessed on and desperate to rebuild you know, as quickly as I could, what had, you know, been my, the grid through which I looked at the world for 12 years of a marriage and 30 years of a, of a faith relationship or something like it was the only thing it was a, it was a a fire so tall I couldn't see over it. And so it was just the only thing I had. It was the only thing I had to write about. And I, and so I had to, um, so my, my choice wasn't do I, or don't I make art about this? It was do I, do I, or don't I make art? And I, and for whatever reason, it was the perfect storm where it was just like, well, no, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and I think, but I think some people get to that moment and, and, and they, they don't want to do it. They can't do it, or they find a way to keep from doing it. And I just don't, I don't think that's the kind of writer I am. I'm like, I'm, I'm, this is always what I'm looking for. Um, it was harder this time around. I've never done it quite like this, but I think, you know, 10 years of my, of writing, songs as complicated as a lot of what's in the discography uh, discography of my solo career, I think was not bad training for me to be ready to yeah. finally do this. Um, so I don't know. One of the things I, I really struggled with kind of, I've come out um, on the other end of, of, of faith and kind of been somewhat jettisoned from the, the enterprise. Uh, but yeah. When I was when I was still embedded it when it, embedded within it when I was still a mm-hmm. a true believer if you want to use use that phrase sure. one of the things that that I really struggled with um, was this idea that there was there was never a private thought that there was mm. that there was that this idea of every thought you know, um, you know within that tradition there's a, you're told that when you get to the end of your life you're going to give this like a thorough accounting of every single thought, every single action. And, okay. and I even remember these old Jack chick, uh, sort of tracts of somebody at the end of their life and their and them standing in front of this giant looked like a, a drive-in cinema, <laughs> you know, there's a white screen kind of set up and, and sort of, and then there's every other person who's ever lived and they're all sitting there with their, their popcorn kind of watching, <laughs> you know, your life play out. It's this, the most emotionally manipulative, <laughs> like everybody is going to sit and just point at all of your foibles and just mm. kind of laugh and chortle and right. you know, spit popcorn out and right. unbelief at what an awkward, you know, like stumbling idiot you are. Uh. And, uh, and I, like, I was, I was just wondering if in, in that in that process of of writing about really difficult things if it if that complex almost sets in 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 a sense of like somebody is going to be listening to whatever i write and whatever i create and and maybe that's people who are part of these songs who you know i've let down or disappointed in some way and mm. and if that comes in and and almost like jinxes in some way the creative process of of getting that out where you want to be creating it as if you're the only person on earth and and you're and you're kind of 
you know, singing yourself some kind of consolation or um, wow. a lullaby or whatever it is that you need. Uh, how, how did that function within the writing of, of the songs on Fingers Crossed? I mean, did you ever just get really, really struggle with the idea of your ex-wife or a Christian mentor right. or somebody who had so much invested right. in you getting that thing right uh, uh, and imagining them listening to the words that you were putting down in your notebook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and, and like I said just before, I, I'm really glad that I, I, I didn't land in this moment to solve these creative problems. Um, until I was more than 20 years in, I don't think I possibly could have navigated it. I don't think I could have figured it out. I couldn't have handled it in terms of how do I make art about this? Um, I needed every minute of experience that I've managed, you know, to, to have over the last 20 years of my career in order to be ready for this, in order to be able to do it. And, um, and I literally feel like I, I, used every bit of it. And, and I, 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 it took everything I knew to figure out how to do it. And so for me, it was a combination of the things, um, it was basically straddling, um, what I've learned from Joni Mitchell about just ragged vulnerability to the point where she has, yeah, to the point where she has friends saying, Hey, Joni, like this is insane and brave and amazing, but hold something back for yourself. Um, which I heard, which I, in a documentary about, about Joni, I, 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 I forget who it was, but I, I remember, you know, another famous musician who was a great friend of her saying, you know, saying that, uh, talking about the moment where he had to say that to her. Um, and felt like she was giving away too much, it's too much, you know, like you're, you, yeah. it's not safe. It's not safe that you're doing this. Mm. Um, and it's also not protective of things that deserve protection in your life, other people, other stories that that you're the, on the Venn diagram, you're getting into area that's territory. Yeah. That's not yeah. wholly yours, uh, stories that are not yours to tell. So between what I learned from her and that, um, and what, for instance, that I think, I feel like I've learned from Bob Dylan, which is just a perpetual hiding, you know, under, you know, four metaphors of inception deep, you know, like where you can't possibly figure anything out about what he's talking about because he so cleverly disguises everything. And, you know, yeah, he's the only one with the cipher. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. He's the only one with the, uh, uh, you know, with the, the decoder with ring. The decoder ring. Yeah, that's exactly whatever. right. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's yeah. like the Andy Kaufman of, of, of songwriters where like, he's the only one in on the joke and he, and he's happy mm-hmm. with it that way because he's managed to navigate very safely for, for, you know, 50 plus years or whatever. And so, um, I think it was a constant walking of that line, trying to figure out what's far enough and what's too far and how do I, and, and basically trying to put myself in all those shoes that you described and imagine how does this sound, but also not being beholden or feeling as though I must ask permission, um, from any of those voices in my head. As long as I'm mainly telling my story from my perspective. And as long as it's mostly, again, me and myself who is at the crosshairs, as long as it's mostly a story of my owning and bearing responsibility for, and the consequences of my own actions, um, you you know, as long as that's the primary narrative, it was also the fight to, uh, to really tell it and to, and to, 
Um, and, and, um, you know, so, so I think it was, it was some of that. And also then the, the dressing on top of that, um, was just the desperate, I don't want to use the word need, but the, the, the desperate feeling that I really wanted to get some things on the public record. Like when you, when you, when you go 20 years with this absurd job where you feel entitled that people should listen to what you say and are going to listen to it and are going to, and want, and that what you're saying is worth listening to and, and, and hearing and, and, um, it's absurd. It's an absurd idea, but, but I have gone with this absurd luxury for 20 years where I've been writing songs. I've been documenting my life somewhat publicly. I've obviously made editorial, many editorial choices along the way, but this is what I do. And once I got three or four, not just three or four years, but three of three or four very important years, really big years in terms of the change that I had undergone in my personal life and my spiritual life. And my, it's like, I was really feeling bottlenecked. Like I needed to get on the public record with some things. I wanted this grief and this narrative to be external of my body. Like I needed to have it out and I wanted people to know. And, and if nothing else, just because it's my ritual, it's my, my habit. It's like, it's a, it's a thing that I've always well, is done. That, is, is that a curse, man? Because like, it feels like there were times if, it didn't feel not like a curse in a way. It's like, it's not real, uh, until the song is out in the wild that now, okay, it's, it's almost like a save point in a video game of like, <laughs> yeah, okay, now this wow. thing about me is true because I've got the, the song out there that, that kind of, right. Well, that, and I feel like over that thing, dude, that's crazy. That's such a, and it's such a great, you know, having grown up as a gamer, that's such a great metaphor, but it's like, I, yeah, I feel like when the records come out are the points at which when, when, when I go on the public record with essentially the distilled, my distilled and crafted vulnerability from the previous year or two is when it feels like it, I don't know, there's something, it's significant. It's, it's, and it, and it affects me. It, 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 and, um, now this time around, it didn't feel safe. I didn't feel detached. It, you know, the, the ink wasn't even dry on the proverbial page when the record was coming out. I was still feeling the emotions. Mm. You know, my, my, my voice was still hoarse from singing the songs when the record came out. So, um, it, it was, it felt that this is certainly the most vulnerable and the, the riskiest piece of art that I feel like I've ever made. And, and I've said before, and like I've said here, like it, it felt like an act of desperation. It didn't feel like, um, crafted, safe vulnerability. It felt, um, dangerous and it felt risky. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, I, I, I really did. Um, I really did need um, to get it on the record. And it's like, and, and, and what's insane is how, um, what's insane is how extremely emotional it was for me to finally have it out to, when it finally was out and, and it was finally where people could hear it and experience it. And it's almost like I finally, I finally invited people in to, my house and my, my place, my living room and my lair where I had lived for so long. And it's like, um, finally I, you know, I was able to pull my ribs apart far enough where people could come and join me and find comfort if it looked familiar and, and it, 
it changed, it really changed my life. Like when the record came out, I just remember this feeling of such relief and, and it was a huge part of my healing and being able to move on from some of it even. So yeah, it's weird. It's, it's curse-like, but it's, but it's good. You know, it's, it's been a good thing always for me.
One thing that I kind of seized on there as you were talking was this idea of, like, what is manicured vulnerability and what is, like, real kind of messy, like, imperfect vulnerability. Uh, mm. And it's it's almost something that you can fall down a hole kind of meta-analyzing. Um, but like when I heard the record, uh, it was... Like I was in the in the midst of like a, a fairly depressive kind of hole, mm. um, like th- things like in terms of you know my relationship with with my wife, or like just in a in kind of a dark corridor where I was you know I've been kind of healing from from trauma going back you know quite a few few years and. Uh, and some of it kind of springing out of like you know spiritual abuse and, and emotional manipulation and right. and things and and you just you just consistently kind of keep butting up against some of the the ripple effects of, of that experience and and it's it's had a it's had a really difficult kind of impact on on those some of those closest relationships and so uh. like your record kind of arrived at like was sort of born into this kind of what felt like a really hopeless moment uh for me i was you know just having really severe insomnia and uh, like i was it's it's just it was an interesting time because i was on holiday in in sicily in italy you know just this like really romantic kind of destination and you know, there with my family and and some of our our really close friends from the UK and wow. and I was I was just str- like struggling and then and you sent me over the MP3s for the new record and yeah. and I was just sitting up you know couldn't sleep was sitting up listening to them at three in the morning <laughs> uh, and and yeah and so that like that vulnerability um, it, it it resonated with that but I. You know, I went on social media just you just want to say thank you when somebody gives you that that soundtrack that you're describing and mm. and so I posted something about it on on Facebook, I think just an, a note of solidarity to say like I appreciate the you deciding to to release these songs essentially because mm. I mean these it, it felt like songs that you would write uh, for the healing and then and then maybe just choose not to release right. um but you put them out into the world. Um, they provided some comfort, even though there was, you know, work to do kind of relationally there. But and I, I had this this really jarring kind of moment where, you know, I, I, I put that note of of solidarity. I think I even like snapped a a bathroom mirror selfie kind of, you know, throwing up the yes. fingers crossed kind of gesture. And uh, uh, I might've put a blue Instagram filter on it just, so good. <laughs> just for fidelity's sake. Oh, it was so um, good, man. But then a, uh, you know, a, a childhood friend of mine who's 
like he's become he's become a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America denomination and which I think you might have been involved with at, at yep. a certain point but um he popped up in my you know Facebook kind of like instant you know like my DMs basically yeah. on, on Facebook <laughs> and and then and just came out with this this message um he said hard for me to celebrate Derek he continues to do some really hateful narcissistic shit and i'm like whoa like it just was like coming out wow. like kind of swing like both fists wow uh and then he continued and he said including playing the struggling martyr while his family suffers manipulation is manipulation wow. and like i don't want to barrage you with the rest of it but um i pushed back and and kind of said like let's let's try to find a, a place of empathy within this and and you connected to a, a story in my own life where you know I, I felt like I was the villain in any kind of recounting of, of the events that I had right. kind of gone through, and and saying like it's such a lonely place to to be there. Like, yeah. and then where's the room for empathy? And then and then him responding that the problem is is when we enable a person who is a wolf, then empathy hurts people. Uh, and, and so like, I realize that's an incredibly harsh thing to bring up, but I mean, he's, he goes to, to a church with, um, you know, some, some people that you'd had like a really Ah. kind of difficult, you know, romantic entanglement with. And, and he's heard these stories and basically decided like, I don't need to hear another side of these stories because, um, this guy is like a, a serial predator. Wow. And, and it was just, it kind of like, I mean, this is a person who I love and respect who is, you know, coming and, and kind of dumping this, but it did suck me all of a sudden. I'd been out of, Uh. out of the church, out of, out of that environment. And I just, had the full kind of flush of like the airlock kind of opening and all of, all of that feeling of like that, that hot glare of, of judgment. And I remember I'd had, um, you know, I was in a, in a point in college, I was leading worship at a church. There were, uh, and I was really confused. Um, like there were, there were two different people that I was essentially like, kind of going back and forth, like, is, you know, God wanting me to, you know, be in a relationship with this person or this person, I, you know, um, and yeah, and I was just trying to analyze it by the spiritual, uh, the spiritual Ouija board I'd been kind of, (laughs) I'd been given where you kind of run it over and then God kind of steers it. And, and I was trying to use that tool and it was just kind of, bouncing all over the place. And I ended up, you know, basically kissing these, these two different people, like in the span of a week, I was just like, you're the one. And then a few days later, I was like, no, God, like God's kind of like, now I know that you're the one. And mm-hmm. and I was just completely confused and obviously dealing with tons of stuff. But mm-hmm. I remember when that whole thing came out, uh, you know, I was you know getting down off the stage at church and, and, and basically just nobody would make eye contact with me and oh. I would just go sit in a row by myself. Right. And, and so as my friend was, uh, you know, mentioning the stuff about you, I just, I, all I could hear was him like 
I felt that same judgment and, and I just, yeah. So I was just wondering, like, yeah. how do you create when, when that's the kind of right. critic that's like perched on your shoulder, kind of telling yeah. you who you are? Yeah. Well, and that's so much of it. And that's not even just the work of a creator. That's just the work of any person, um, who's trying yeah. to process hard things in a healthy way. And I, and which is a thing that I've been really focused on in the last half a decade. I've tried to learn as much as I could from the ways that I failed. And, um, and, and among the things that I've learned is that, um, you know, you, I am the one who gives power to people to speak, um, to provide narratives in my head. And, um, and I need to be careful because a lot of people are not safe. They're not trustworthy. They're, and, and, um, I'm sure that those people, if hearing this would think that was highly ironic and that probably, oh, well, you're just choosing voices then that agree with your bad behavior or something. And, and, uh, and at the end of the day, um, it's, it's a, it's a learning, um, and remembering and reminding yourself of all the ways that you cannot, you, you, I have so little control over anything. I can barely control, uh, you know, my immediate surroundings, um, and for my, and myself for God's sake. But what I cannot, yeah. what I cannot control is anything external of me. I can't control people. I can't control my environment. And so you have to learn how to expend energy on things you can control. And, and you, we quickly get into the language of recovery here, but it's like, um, I've never done any 12 step, but it's like, I, I'm very familiar with it and I'm, and it's, it's very resonant with me. But at the end of the day, I can't control what somebody like that thinks about me and I can't control what stories they've heard. And I can't control who's telling them those stories mm -hmm. and, and what wounds those people are speaking out of or what, um, narratives in those people's stories I am triggering and when they, yeah. when they look at me like a Rorschach, um, like, like, like a two way mirror, because I've had a lot of that actually in my story and in my life, I've had a lot of people pursue my public shame doggedly Christians, mm -hmm. um, who feel as though it is their mission and their, their crusade and that they are literally the hand of God's wrath in the world. Um, and they must do this and what, and you know, and what you come to learn is that the people who have a an inappropriate uh, obsession over someone's wrongdoing and get obsessed really on that person being punished and that person, um, w what you typically find, I mean really what you typically find, uh, and you always hate to see it and you hate to think it, but what you do typically find is that for those people, for those extreme cases, um, and I have some of those extreme cases in my life, um, you, it's not about what they're seeing, what they're responding to. Um, it's not about you. It's, it, you are triggering something in their story that is, that they can no more escape, um, their anger with you than they can escape themselves because right. they, yeah. they look at you and they see something. And, and if life is long enough, and if you wind up in proximity to those people and those stories long enough, you will eventually, um, figure out what it is. And I can't tell you literally maybe half of the men who have treated me this way in the last half a decade. Um, I have eventually, and I always, I mean, I grieve it when I, when it happens, but, um, there has been something that has come out or that, uh, that, that, that gets back to me. And, 
you realize mm-hmm. something and you realize, Oh God, like I understand. Like I, 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 I now realize what they were seeing when they were looking at me and it makes perfect sense why they were so angry and, 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 right. and how it was yeah. not truly about me, but it was about something in their lives that I was, that some anger they were triggering or some shame that I was triggering. And, and, um, and don't get me wrong. There's an appropriate anger and shock and disappointment and sadness, um, around the radius of the blast when terrible and shocking and sad and disappointing things happen. But then there are these extreme cases, which what we're, which is what we're talking about. And, um, and you know, the great gift that it gives you to have this perspective is that you get to no longer see these men or women as your enemy. Um, because this is not a battle between you, between me and them, um, or about their response and my behavior. It's, it's them, it's their battle. Um, and I have to give it to them. Um, and I say this on the record, but I cannot be a cross on which they hang their sin to be forgiven. That's not how it works. Um, and so sometimes you have to take the punches, but, um, at the end of the day, I can be empathetic and to, to a handful of these people in my pursuit of restoration and trying to make amends, I've, you know, I will, I've always ended, or back when I was doing that some years ago, I would end letters to these people saying, listen, I, I'm, I don't wish it on you. I don't wish my cautionary tale on you, but if you find yourself some years from now in a position like I am in and you have no one, um, and you find yourself lonely on the moral high ground that you're now occupying with me, uh, and you feel yourself as I am now permanently knocked off of it, um, just know that there is at least one person who will be safe for you to talk to and who will understand and will have no grounds upon which to judge you. And that's me. And so I would hate for that to be the reason, the circumstance and the next occasion when we speak. But if it is, I'm here. Um, it's the only good that can Mm. come from this now, just like those random messages I get on Facebook. It's like, I, I take that seriously. And I, if there is anything to good, good that can come from it, um, be it, uh, one of those, men, you know, needing to reach out to me at some point in the future or some random person on Facebook or just someone who's comforted by having my confession in their earphones, um, then I show up for that. Um, and I acknowledge that as part of my strange story. And, uh, and I realize my part in it. And again, all I can do is own my own behavior, own the consequences of it, um, and everything else. And that's a lot of what this record, the process of making this record was about for me. And, which was like finding the 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 boundaries where I end and everything and everyone else begins, and I can only own what's mine. Uh, and um, and I know the man that I am versus the man that I was and the man that I hope to be. And I have good community around me who is for me and loves me and pulls for me and cheers for me and counsels me. And they're not people who always like or agree with me, but they are good safe. <laughs> but they are good safe people and. And so, yeah. and, and it's their praise and their criticism that I do receive and does feed into and become part of my narrative. And the, the detached anonymous judgment of people like that, who you're describing, just don't have, they don't get to have a voice in my narrative. So that doesn't become, that's nothing, uh, to me. I, I mean, and I'm not trying it's to It's not be, psychically harmful to, to hear hear those words or, or does it still prick and, but then well, it, you're, you've got the, you've got the Logan kind of yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of healing, healing that kind of kicks in. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it does only for a for a moment, but only in as far as it reminds me of the man that I was. Um, and there's a mm. very real sense in which I'll never not be that man. I know that's true. Um, and I understand their anger because when they see me, they see the person who did the worst things I've ever done. And woe to anyone who is forever judged uh, through the grid of the worst things they've ever done. Who could stand? Right. Um, not that. Right. Not that man, or this. Um, and so I understand when they see me. I mean, every time I walk past my own reflection, I'm reminded of that man who did these things. It's on this record, in fact, where I say, you know, uh, how I am as I'm speaking, you know, to the character of my ex-wife, how I'm. I'm fantasizing and getting homicidal and wanting to kill the man who did these things to her. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and that person is myself driving wild in my own rear view. You know, it's like, I I know that there's a sense in which I'll never not be him, but I also know that there's a very real sense in which I'm not him. Um, I've worked really hard to not be that man. And I can tell you all the reasons. Um, I can tell you all the things I've learned from that failure and uh, those are the only choices that I have is to get healthy um, and to move forward and to heal and to try to be a healing presence to the people around me and the people who I hurt, who I love. And, and I know that that's the work I'm doing and I know my story and I, and I know that my friends who love me know my story. And so the stories of people who don't know me, those are just people who don't I, – I don't give the right to speak um, into my narrative in a way that – uh, like I, I don't, it, 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 it stings because it reminds me, um, of how much I hate that guy too, the guy that he's describing, but it, but, mm-hmm. but then I'm immediately, the Wolverine skin is that I'm immediately reminded of and healed by all of the other narratives that are louder and, and realer and more immediate and more recent of the man who I am currently, who is pursuing health and healing and restoration um, who is looking for the answers on the other side, um, who's trying to find a way forward, um, and, uh, and who sympathizes with him. Uh, and I understand how he feels because I feel it too. But the enemy, both of our enemy is a man who I'm not. Um, and is it helpful or unhelpful to get up on stage and play those songs? I mean, there's specific songs dealing with that spe- yeah. specific hurt just because it's the most recent. And I'm, and I, I, I feel so conflicted about kind of camping on on these uh, yeah. these specific themes, but it's it's just so much a part of this new record, and, and it is. And I've invited so it. I mean, I'm the overcoming. Yeah, I, mean, I, I brought it up essentially, so so it's uh, you know like I'm the one who brought it up. So, um, I mean, do you feel like it's a like you're kind of lash like playing those songs where that you know yeah. that narrator that voice is is making that confession, voicing that disappointment. Uh, Voicing that, even that almost that kind of disassociated, uh, kind of like venting of anger, yeah. of like wanting to hurt that person. Like, does it feel like Dimsdale in the Scarlet Letter, kind of right. you know, going into his chamber and kind of cracking the lash on right. on himself? I think. I th- or is it help? Is it helpful? I, th- I, I think it does some of both. I think that it does. I think it is for me a good, a perpetual reminder. Um, in order that I, you know, of, of where I've been, what I've done. And it's a good, healthy ownership for me going forward. And it's a thing I, it's for the same reason that anyone walks into a a meeting of recovery and the first thing they do is confess why they're there. Um, and so I, and they do it perpetually and that's part of what keeps them there. And I think that my ongoing confession of these things 
has so far only proven to be a good thing. I think that in as far as it serves as a cautionary tale for those listening who are there, who are also present, I think it's also a good thing. And I think it's also a thing, a rhythm that I said, that I said before, I'm used to in terms of my songs providing for me a, my own personal liturgy, so to speak, that I have to show right. up every night and confess. Um, it's the, it's the confessing of things I wish to be true. I mean, that's what the, the liturgy in the church kind of does, you know, like in, in the church, I always really identified with and resonated with, with, with liturgy because it's a showing up and pronouncing of things week after week, um, in a very rote way, even not because you believe yeah. them, but in, or it's aspirational. You, you, you do it because in order, yeah. in order to believe them, you, you, you say them, you say these things because you wish to believe them. And for me, I think there is something liturgical and healthy, um, and habitual about, and it's a rhythm that I'm familiar with and that, and I've been practicing for 20 years of my professional life to get up and to do that. And I feel like for all those reasons and more, I'm sure so far, um, you know, and, and it, it feels healthy and it feels good. And, and maybe there is, I think when it's, when I'm not in a healthy place, I think it, it can serve to, um, be a little masochistic. Um, but that's not most of the time. And there, there, it's not most of the time that I feel like I deserve to feel this way. I did for a long time, but I don't anymore. Um, I don't think it's a healthy way to live and, and go forward. I, I, um, you know, I, I think I've, I've punished, however, however much anyone wishes me to be punished or wishes me to feel pain or regret or grief over anything that I've done, um, the, the comfort I could offer them is that I assure them that I have felt all that they wish me to feel and a hundred and a hundred times more. <laughs> That's right. Um, oh God. And, yeah. And it's yeah. all by my own self affliction, you know, and, and, uh, and I go on even feeling it some of the time feeling like it's, it's still deserved. And, and I, which is not true. And again, who could stand under that? Um, not, not, not that man and not really anyone. So, um, I do feel like I'm in a healthy place with it. I mean, although I would describe the songs and the album as an act of desperation, I, I feel like it's my, even ignoring my instincts of doing something in a crafty or, or to use a negative word, manipulative way when it comes to songwriting or what you choose to reveal as an artist, even ignoring those instincts on this record, I still know more than I could ignore my instincts of pop sensibility. Um, could, yeah. could I keep from crafting it in a way that I knew would be safe for me to be stuck with for the rest of my life and having to confess publicly? So I, so far it feels like a healthy and a good thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I want to turn the coin over because like there's in the song chasing empty mangers, uh, on fingers crossed, you, you sing about these, these other, these friends who I, you know, imagine to be other, other songwriters, other, yeah. other people who are kind of digging into that, into that wound or dressing that wound, yes. uh, kind of repeatedly, and and you talk about them being lost and uh, lost and bruised and beaten. Yeah. I, I think it might be the the phrase in the song. Yeah, but but that hits really close to home for me because I was you know part of this you know, this music magazine uh, paste yeah. you know which which you know I should say is go on the record saying is is not a it's not a Christian publication. Right. It's um, it's it's definitely not. Not driven by that agenda, but but it always felt very sympathetic to spirituality and and looking for resonance of spiritual themes. Yeah, 
broadly. Yes, because at its, I mean, unavoidably, because at its inception, I mean, the the guys that that started the magazine were themselves Christians. That's right. Um, and and so they they were interested in people who were you know plumbing those those depths and, right. and asking asking those sorts of questions. But as I've been writing my book and processing that that whole experience of of being part of part of that magazine and and exploring the songcraft and and the and the songwriters uh, who were opening a vein, one of the the things that just came up over and over was this sense that the thing that they were going to for comfort um, was also the thing that was killing them. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, I would be looking at, you know, a, like a Damien Gerardo song oh. off of Ghost of David, you know, where he's singing like these, these lyrics about like tonight, like I'll taste fire. I deserve to die. Like, mm. uh, I mean, just absolutely gut wrenching, Kind of, uh, expressions of of shame and yeah. and sin and guilt and and I don't know what you know theological kind of traditions like these different people were coming from, but all I had was song after song after song after song, and uh, you know I quote a few of them in the in that particular chapter, mm-hmm. and, and there may have even been you know. A, a, a snippet of lyrics from from Wedding Dress or one mm. of your other songs that that contained this this same kind of wound, mm. just still bleeding. Uh, and so when I heard that lyric in Chasing Empty Mangers, I I just I felt like I needed to ask you about kind of that that point of of having something like a halfway house, you know, between. Mm. The, the the Christian music industry, where you are now, kind of where you you see other songwriters who are still you know breathing that that kind of church tradition and and what you see that doing to those those creative people that you allude to in that in that song. Right. Um as delicately as, as you like. Yeah, you know, no no I I mean, I mean, I, you know, I feel, I feel like in that song, I mean, I, I was probably speaking as much to that community as I was my, my, um, kind of my broader just community of people who I have found and with whom I have recongregated over the last so many years since I've not been in church and, um, and, or even, and maybe especially, the people who I have come in contact with, and and I know have have experienced the pain and the confusion over reconciling their spirituality with what they see when they look at the world, and their inability out of either fear or institutional pressure in their lives and workplaces and whatever else, family situations where they couldn't possibly call it into question. They couldn't possibly. And so I, I want, I imagine them kind of like listening secretly on headphones where no one can hear, um, mm-hmm. you know, in order to have a glimpse of the world that in which they probably are living, um, but in complete isolation and, um, you know, and try and, and, and hoping to provide some comfort, um, 
you know, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, cause to be fair, I mean, I wrote that song on Christmas Eve last year, Christmas Eve, 2016. Um, in, mm-hmm. in as long as it took me to sing the song, I wrote it and I was half drunk and alone, my children with their mom, uh, and, you know, yeah. on Christmas Eve and, and feeling as though, you know, right about now it feels about as likely that, that this Jesus thing is true as Santa Claus is going to come down that chimney. Like I just, and I feel it makes, right. and it makes me feel very alone and it makes me feel, um, you know, so it was, uh, you know, and, and, and wanting in that moment to, to wonder who else is sitting in houses like this and who else is having this moment. And, and to all of them, I raise my glass, you know, I mean, it, um, I don't know if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and that, that's the thing that's, that's really bracing is that it's, it's so much bigger than just the people you have in mind. It's, it's always the multitude that you haven't even, right. That you can't even account for, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and, and I, and I, you know, and again, I feel like what has been on the other side of it, which has been a very preoccupying question for me, um, which is partially why, you know, me and some pals have started this airing of grief thing, which is, a um, you know, just basically recongregating one phone call at a time with people and talking about where they are spiritually and what they've gone through and kind of airing, literally airing that, um, by topic and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, is, has all been in an effort to put faces, you know, to that crowd and to, to find those people and to even just as a, as a reminder along the journey that like one thing that comes up on, on our conversations uh, a lot that I have with people about this is that, you know, I've come to believe that, you know, what is made in community cannot be unmade in isolation. And what I mean by that is like, there's not a version of Christianity that I ever heard about. That's a solo practice. It's just you by yourself. And it's, it's by nature, by its own rules that it, and that it, um, you know, it's a team sport. It's a team sport. I mean, that's how, that's how it's invented. And that's how it's, that's the only way you can play it really. If, um, I mean, unless you, unless you want to, you know, kind of patchwork your way through and create something on your own, which is cool. But and if you're playing by the rules, I mean, there's a monastic tradition, that's right. of course, that fits in there somewhere. Yeah, but that's, yeah, no, yeah that, it, that's it, right. It is, it's community, but yeah. it is. It's a thing done together, and um, or at least done well together. And and I started to realize, you know, like there are so many people who are who don't realize that there is as great a cloud of witnesses, or a community, or an invisible church, so to speak, of people who are deconstructing and and um, disbelieving as as are believing and 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 yet they feel completely isolated alone and um they don't even realize that they're brushing right past them on the street you know that all the people Mm -hmm. who because you know the 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 church is just the white hot center there are people always traveling towards and then away from it and moving through it but you know for the for the in the same way that there are a lot more total people who have ever existed in civilization than there are people who are currently on the planet, there are a lot of people who have stories and who have been through a lot of pain and who are processing, you know, um, deconversion and disbelief and, and deconstruction. Um, and there's nothing worse than feeling as though you're completely alone in it. And yet it's the one main thing you lose when you depart is the congregating and the common language 
and all the things that kind of you feel like make you you on the inside. And um, so I, I, you know, I feel like all of this is it's wound up becoming, as you said, something bigger. It's not just my trying to survive um, my emotional moment by documenting my way out. It's become like, oh, I realize that I'm really part of a, a, a larger tradition even here and that there are a lot of people who um, not only are comforted by my voice processing it, but who have voices that are extremely important, have, have proved extremely important to me in processing it as well and um, who have gone far before me and and how many of us there are trying to survive and figure this out and that that needs to be a team sport also. Um, and, um, you know, so anyway, it's, I mean, the whole thing has felt like a very healing process, you know, and, and certainly much bigger than one album and 13 songs, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I, I love about the airing of grief podcast. And I literally like the second I get that notification up on the screen of my phone, like yeah. the earbuds are straight into oh, the, man, you're so kind into the ear holes and, and Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's beautiful for the reason that you mentioned is because it, it becomes about a chorus of voices That's rather right. than it's, and it's the thing that the, I mean, a lot of times like within the church, it was always, it was about the, the cult of, of personality of that pastor, you know, uh, yeah. the, so often. them right. kind of owning the pulpit and them being the solo artist who's <laughs> kind of getting up and doing their figure eights and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I couldn't think of a a witty enough like sort of verse with the eight in it to uh, to capitalize on that. But let's just pretend I've gone back in post and and, yes. and fixed that. Um, but but this is this is all about kind of just breaking or at least going some way to to kind of leveling that that kind of authoritarian hierarchy where it's not the the pastor preaching to the choir, but it's the the pastor going and sitting down in the choir stalls and then just everybody That's just right. like cracking open a beer, like at the same time. Yeah. Which to be fair, I, I think is the, is what's possible in a church community. I mean, I think it can be that way. I might disagree with the fundamental, you know, with the, um, with the spark, you know, at the center of yeah. the thing, I might disagree with that, but but in terms of the way the community operates, I mean, I have seen some that are like that and I can hear the objections of saying, well, that's not how my place is. I mean, there's a, there are caricatures are caricatures for a reason. And, and I think many places are that way and most that I've encountered. But, you know, like I, I, I don't think um, – what, what I always want to do um, is I want to dignify where anyone is on that journey. And I want – and I think it's important for everyone to be where they are and to not be in a rush. Um, and, uh, you know, and, uh, because, you know, th there are some communities and I've even talked to people on these area of grief calls who have told me to my great shock, um, that they are, you know, they no longer, uh, profess faith that they, all these other things, but that they've stayed in their community, their church communities, because really? they found them to be places where people truly love them. And it doesn't, and they don't seem to care that they have, um, uh, abandoned the faith and, you know, and, and, and they keep, they continue going. And, and I, I know I marvel. I mean, I, when I hear these stories, cause it's just so uncommon, but you know, there, there are, yeah. there are, there are those stories. And I think, as I think, um, our, our brother Dave Bazan would also say, you know, in mixed up in this incredible mess, um, of 
the of the institutional church, especially in the West, you know, there there are a lot of good people. There are people who do truly care, and there are people who care about justice and who care about peace and who care about widows and orphans and who care about things worth caring about and things that I continue to care about, even though I have detached from the moral grid, the demands that I do. It 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 feels like a um, you know a a healthy um, and consistent way to proceed through life as a human. And so I've, I've held on to those things. And the mm-hmm. church doesn't own those things. There's not a TM at the end of any of those peace or justice that belong to the church. And they, they, they were, they've been around a lot longer than the church as an institution has. And, um, and, uh, and so, you know, and I, and there's room f- for those people in the conversation too. And I, and, um, so anyway, you know, I, I think that with my personality extreme as it is, I think the hard thing for me has been not to, to, to try and not trade, fundamentalism for fundamentalism. And I think that that's seems yeah. to be the pitfall of a lot of my friends because it's, because you're angry when you, when, when, yeah. when you know, when, when well, I was going to ask you about this yeah. because I'm, I'm not, I don't hear that anger from you uh, surprisingly because you, you have this reputation for being this really strident. I'm a hothead. Yeah. <laughs> you're hothead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's all that Bon Jovi. You exactly. Were, you were, like listening to back in the day. Molly Crew. Uh, you've got your six string, you know, exactly. kind of like shotgun strapped across your back. <laughs> Um, but, but like you've, you've come out of it, I think, uh, so much more gracefully than I did because I was, I was never allowed to, like, I had to go to, to doom metal to like, sort of (laughs) be able to like hear that, that kind of anger. And, um, like back when I was, you know, in seventh and eighth grade or, or whatever it was. And, um, but because in my house, anger was, you know, it wasn't allowed. Like you, like you could just absolutely like burn with rage, but you're going to, to smile and, you know, and then if you had a fundamental disagreement with somebody, you wouldn't confront it, you know, because conflict wasn't allowed. Anything like superficially looked like conflict wasn't allowed, but then you could, you know, just leave a, you know, do something really manipulative or (laughs) sideways or leave a book. Like, you know, my mom would leave leave a book on my bed that I would come and find, and I would I would I mean talk about Dylan and ciphers and decoder rings. Like I had to figure yeah. out what the, this book meant right. and why it was like because there was a reason it oh, was yeah. there, and I was oh, supposed yeah. to like figure it out. It, yeah, um, it's the way that my, it's like the way that my parents used to leave uh, pamphlets for military schools on my pillow whenever I would intensely misbehave, which was my entire adolescence. Um, oh, wow. yeah, everything's communication. That's, that's not even that subtle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really not. Um, well, I mean, I think, but yeah, like you do, but you didn't come out with that anger, yeah. uh, like seemingly because like I'd listened to these podcasts where I was like wanting to go out in the street and yeah. like, and just like go person to person and like, and try to like talk them out of, out of their faith feeling like I had right. been duped for so long and, and not wanting anybody to, uh, at least that's kind of how I was feeling and, right. and then not wanting anybody else to like feel as, as foolish and as taken yes. as, as I kind of felt when I looked at it from the other side. And, um, but, but then here you were saying, you know, I, I don't want to plant a flag anywhere and like, let, you know, like everybody's kind of good where they are. Right. And, and, and I, I, appreciated that. And I think it helped serve kind of a tempering, Mm. moderating influence in terms of bringing me back and and realizing that I really didn't want to be a raging fundamentalist, you know, for a different camp. That's right. Yeah. I didn't want to trade certainty for certainty. Like 
one minute I'm certain that God is there and he's risen indeed. And the next minute I'm certain that he's not, that he's, you know, and, and you know, and I, I think for me, I think as I'm hearing you describe it and as I'm trying to figure out like, why, why is that actually? Because I'm, 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 uh, that's, it's unlike me, uh, really to behave so mildly, um, especially about something that was my, you know, prime identifier for 30 plus years of my life. And, and I, I think the reason is because I went through it um, in such a grieving posture because I was, it was just, it was, I was out of bandwidth and energy uh, right. to, right, right. Be, I, I didn't have the energy to be angry. I was just, I, all I could right. really be was sad. And, um, and, and it was also, you know, logs being heaped on an already raging fire, um, you know, of, I mean, I lost a lot, you know, I, I've, you know, you know, as I said before, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but, um, you know, pretty much everything that made me, me, um, left, you know, about five years ago. And, and I, and so it wasn't like, a um, uh, the, the eventual kind of ringing of untrue of all the things that I'd, I'd once believed and, and then a resulting kind of frustration and anger and, and, and reaction to that. It was just a sad kind of stumbling away from the, the embers of my life having burned down. It's like, I just, I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to be mad and maybe there'll be a wave of, you know, I know, you know, of the cycle as the cycles of grief go, maybe there'll be a wave of that at some point. But I think at this point I've managed to dodge it because it's like, I'm, because I managed to get, I managed to avoid the anger around it long enough to arrive at, the feeling of gratefulness that I came to those realizations and I've never yeah. honestly been happier or felt freer or felt more settled or satisfied, um, than I do now. And I'm, I have very conflicted feelings about the path by which I got here, obviously. And, and the, the collateral damage, I mean, is just almost unforgivable in my, you know, for me, but, but, I'm so grateful to be where I am and I feel as though I'm, I'm fully myself finally. And I feel as though the, the, the little, um, dog ears on so many pages of my story that I was like, ah, man, I don't know about this. Like, uh, this isn't squaring, you know, like I got to come back and really think yeah. through this at some point, revisit this. Cause this doesn't make any sense. I don't know how, if this squares with all these, uh, it's like, I finally feel free of that and free of being an apologist for something that I didn't particularly relate or resonate with. And so it's like, I'm just so grateful. Like I, and I, and I finally feel like I am myself without, um, without, uh, uh, leash or governor. Like I, I feel like I'm finally really running at full speed mm. and I'm really free to pursue and, and find some of those things for myself. And it's like, I'm just so happy about that, that I'm kind of like, don't have, I, I, and now I'm just kind of, past the point where I, I care to be all that mad about it. I'm just like, you know what? Like, yeah, I'm bummed and it feels, you know, but, but it's, it's like, I don't know. I mean, no more than I would have any of the, you know, I I don't know how many tattoos I have at this point, but I have a fair amount and any more than I would want to have any of them removed um, or am mad about the fact that they're permanently etched into my skin because they represent things I once liked or believed. Um, I just want to get more. Like, I just want to, I just want to continue documenting. I just want to, I don't want to take anything back. I want to say more. 
And but so, do you remember American History X? Oh yes, okay. um, yes. Like, do you remember that? Like, absolutely, like just like heart, like ripped out of the chest kind of moment where Edward Norton's standing there looking in the bathroom mirror, and he just he kind of his his right hand kind of drifts over his the swastika yeah. tattoo that he has on his chest, and it, I can't even remember the exact blocking of that scene, but I think he just covers it for a moment with his hand just to imagine right. if his story had not included this yeah. nightmare streak of white supremacy and, and venom and things that eventually, you know, led to the death of, of his brother, but, uh, mm. by pulling him into that story. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a cross tattoo in that exact same location where, and I'm not drawing any kind of equivalence between, no, I hear you. between those two symbols, but I do stand in front of, like when I took that, that little bathroom mirror selfie on my yeah. holiday in Italy and kind of just threw up a fingers crossed sign of solidarity with you. It like the tattoo is just kind of in view, like, and I think having the, sh the shirt off and, mm -hmm. and all of the other insecurities that go along with that. Right. Uh, it's yeah, it is just vulnerability. It's like, here I am, here's the story. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's a cross, but it's also a Celtic cross, and that's it's, right. it's got pagan symbols <laughs> that's in, right. in, in 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 the circle in that kind of that that sun shape, you know, kind of, uh, and so it's it's all more complicated than yeah. <laughs> you know than well, and for me, it's like story. I think that having gone through it and having lived with it for so long, and and having learned about it, what I now know has equipped me to now be where I am and to be a voice of understanding or comfort to those again, who, I mean, I, th I think, th I think that the way I have to look at it at this point is ultimately what I'm looking for is, um, a net good. And is it a net good? Um, even with the pain that I've caused and, and experienced myself. And even with the, the years that I spent identifying with a particular worldview, you know, from, from my early adolescence until my, you know, my now adulthood, like, and all those years I spent, all the hours I spent reading all those books and then all that, you know, communal practice and all that stuff, you know, is, was it wasted? Was it, and, and I essentially have to look at it and say, well, is it a, it, does it amount to a net good? And I think that the fact that it, it now equips me, for instance, to be the person who can be maybe that one safe person for that in that desperate moment for that man or that woman or that person on social media who has mm -hmm. who can't reach out to anyone who actually knows them and feels as though I might be a person who would resonate with or understand or not judge who they could confess something to and maybe that's what cracks the dam and or or whatever the story is. It's like you know. If my experience to here has made me who I am and equipped me to go forward as this person and try to do good, as long as it's a net good, I can't regret it. Like it's, you know, you, you, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's tricky business regretting what's made you, you. Um, and if you're angry about it, it's like, right. But even the fact that you have the wherewithal to be angry about that, part of that has even been constructed by these experiences and um, 
And so, you know, if it's the difference between, um, cause I mean, ultimately it's the difference between life or death, you know, and I prefer to go on living. I mean, you know, really, if you just yeah. distill it down, that's really because there kind of is no other version. It's like you you don't get the benefit of the wisdom and the hindsight and the view towards your future health without the crucible of the intense pain and failure and rejection. Like you don't, you don't, there's not a version where you get to have both. And if I had to choose, as long as it's a net good, I you know, um, hard is it is for me to say, like, if I could get in a time machine, not by the rules of Back to the Future, if I was actually pushing rewind on my understanding of myself yeah. and the world, having to go back to the man I was into the moments just before the fuse was lit on all this destruction in my life, I can tell you that if it meant going back to the man that I was, I wouldn't do it. Because I too, I too highly value what I've learned and the person I've become and how it's affected my life ultimately for good and how that enables me to potentially affect the world around me for good. And, um, and I, I wouldn't trade that. Um, and, uh, you know, because I think it's even a net good to my children and to my relationship with my ex-wife and the relationship to my community and, um, you know, beyond again, the things that I can't control and the people who, um, are, you know, kind of stuck, uh, with a scratched record of, the narrative they choose to see me through and the grid through which they choose to judge me forever, regardless of what the truth is. And those things are out of my control. Yeah. Beyond that, I choose to move forward. And uh, it's really the only choice that I have, you know? Yeah. I, I want to wind down the conversation on that, that theme of, yeah. of unconditional love, which I think is one of the things that uh, like in this manuscript uh, perfect that I've been writing <laughs> is I think that that is where the wound for me is uh, the deepest I'd have to say, huh. because it like unconditional love is, is what I was promised uh, and it's not what, it's not what I received uh, yeah. uh, from parents, from the church, uh, and and yeah and and that is something you just shine your light directly on and on this record uh i think it's in in the last track um was it in the last track that where you you talk about abandonment as as a way to show somebody that you'll never leave yes uh this this kind of weird cruel riddle of yeah you know, unconditional love and excommunication, and, right. uh, these ideas, but, but you can unconditionally love yourself, but you have to exist with, with the disappointment of, of not being unconditionally loved by structures and, and even sometimes family and the people yeah. whose core job function is to do that, do that very thing. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, but, but in an effort to, as Gandhi said, be the change that we wish to see in the world, it's like, despite, you know, where you don't find it, you can provide it. And, um, and primarily with yourself, 
which I think is not, uh, which is, I think, ironically, what the Bible talked about, you know, when he talked to, when it talked about loving your neighbors yourself, it's like the presumption is that you love yourself. The presumption is that you would care for yourself and that would enable you to, to then care for your neighbors and to love them, um, in an unconditional way. And, but if you're not loving yourself that way, you have, you don't have that to offer anybody. And, um, just so strange that maybe you and I both, and definitely a lot of people in my community here in Nashville have found that we had to leave the, uh, the organization, um, whose advertising did promise it, um, in order to find it. Uh, and, um, because I think the risk is just too high, um, it, within the wall, within those walls to really have it. And, uh, which is just this strange irony, irony of its inconsistency to me. I, it's, you know, it, and I was talking with the pal just last night about it, about how, you know, God tells people to love each other unconditionally. And yet he loves with such intense condition. And, um, oh, yeah. and it, and so yeah. much of it, you know, um, is, you know, I don't know. It's like, I mean, it, it would be a, an entire second hour to a, to a podcast interview to even mm-hmm. light that fuse. But, um, but, but as you said, where a good place to leave it is to say, uh, even har- heralding back to what I was saying earlier, like ultimately what you can control, what you can take responsibility for, what you can spend your bandwidth and energy focused on is your choices and what, how you choose to behave and what you choose to believe and what you choose to do. And for me, that is primarily trying to find a way to forgive and love myself, to believe that I, um, I, there, there are, I could deserve good things, um, despite the fact that I have not always done good things. And, um, and I can try to be the provider of good things to the people around me. And, um, and it's crazy how hard that ultimately is. Um, but it's even harder to not do that and try to be that for other people. It's, it's to, to hate yourself and try to be good for anybody is incredibly difficult. Um, and, uh, so I'm with you there, and that's and that's 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 the pursuit. I mean, that's this is the life now. This is the this is the practice now of trying to figure out how to live with ourselves in a way that we can be of benefit to other people. And the only way to do that uh, is to primarily be a, uh, not in a, not get um, in our own way about it. And um, so uh, you know, I'm uh, and I can't wait to read all of what you've written. I've read a little of it, and I I'm uh, I'm as or more grateful for, you know, you're applying your story and intellect to it as, uh, much, much more so than, than you may be to the airing of grief or anything else, you know, fingers crossed or otherwise, but I'm grateful to see, I'm grateful for your witness. Let's just say, as David Dark would say, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for your witness, you know? <laughs> well, it, it, it just means that I, I have to you know, look at the cover art on your record and see that, that anchor uh, with mother <laughs> written over it and, and see that anchor as being a, a beautiful steadying thing mm. rather than being a sinking holding captive or something, yes. you know, that's the, um, Oof. but no, there, there's, there's layers on layers. Um, and but that's, I, that's life. That's right. That's life. And so, yeah. uh, for me, the, the task ahead is to write from a place of love rather than a place right. of vengeance. That's right. Uh, and if I can do that, then I'll be okay. And I think on your new record, you've, you've shown a, a, a map for, for how to do that. Mm. Um, deeply appreciate so, it. It means so a lot I coming from it. you, especially man. 
Well, I'm I'm so glad we got to got to talk and oh, uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I've I've aired a bit of grief on my side, and 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 you've uh, you know you've been doing it kind of full time. It seems like around the clock with with both the new record and the shows and the airing of grief podcast now, which anybody listening to this. Um, just deserves and the great joy of spending time with people having honest conversations because mm. uh, I spent a lot of my time, a lot of my uh, life having conversations where we talked around the, the wound um, and maybe to keep it together in some way. Yeah. And, and so to have, or being distracted by, a wound that was illusory in some way. Um, and, but to talk about the real wounds we, we carry and, uh, Frederick Buechner, my, you know, (laughs) even being on the other, other side of faith, uh, my favorite writer is still a 90 something year old Presbyterian (laughs) minister. Uh, and he talks about, uh, friendship is, being just the giving and taking of wounds ah. uh, and pressing those wounds against uh, one another. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's grief and commingling and, mm. um, but there's kind of a blood solidarity that <laughs> goes along with, with that kind of process. And, wow, yeah. and so, yeah, I think hopefully that's, that's what we're doing by, uh, by sharing these That's stories right. um, and and pressing those those wounds together and and allowing there to be some kind of kinship uh, that comes out of that. Man, wow, yes, mutual. It's a pleasure. All right, well, uh, I'll um, well, lots of lo- lots of love to you, Ben. Yeah, yeah, you as well. Thanks so much for chatting. If you enjoyed the topics we covered in this episode, head over to my website at jason-killingsworth.com where you will find lots more content to check out. While you're on my page, be sure to sign up for my newsletter so you don't miss the latest articles and videos I'll be posting there in the days to come. There are links in the upper right corner to my various social media accounts if you want to hit me up directly. The theme music in this episode has been Morning Flats by the band Limbic System. If you're looking for them online, just be aware that their name has a bunch of Ys in it, like Leonard Skinnerd. Okay, that's it for now. Till next time, stay curious, keep making that thing you're convinced the world will despise you for, and try to be a bit more patient with yourself. Because as the proverb reminds us, be happy while you're living, for you're a long time dead. Take care. <laughs>